So welcome to Confessions of a Serial Seller. My guest today, he's a motivational speaker in the Hall of Fame. He's a New York Times bestseller for numerous books, like The Art of Influence, which he wrote with Jim Rohn, 12 Pillars with Jim Rohn, Invisible Profit System, and Leadership. The guy is an entrepreneur god. Chris Weiner, thank you so much for joining me today. Tony, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, my, my, my pleasure, pleasure, is, all pleasure is all mine. So, Chris, so tell, Chris, tell, tell the about your journey, about your journey of how you got how to be now, now in sales and entrepreneurship. It's been a long, circuitous route to get there, um, but I learned to sell. I learned to sell as a kid. We can talk about that later. In fact, I think everybody learns to sell or not sell as a kid. Uh, what you do as a kid is really indicative of how you're going to live the rest of your life. So uh, we can talk about that. But I had a crazy upbringing. My dad died when I was four. I lived in 28 homes. I went to 11 different schools. I was shipped off to live with relatives twice, once in the fourth grade, once in the ninth grade. Started drugs in the sixth grade. Made most of my money growing up betting the horses at Long Acres Horse Track, which no longer exists outside of Seattle. And, uh, and in the, my 10th grade uh, high school year, I had... Uh, 47 written referrals to the principal's office. So uh, I was going nowhere fast. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Zig Ziglar always used to say he was, he was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. Well, I was in the 10th of the class that made the top 90% possible. <laughs> I graduated 149th out of 172 students right, in my class. Right. Um, thankfully, I got my act together right before I graduated. I went to a college whose only um, uh, whose only prerequisite was that the check cleared. And so I got a degree uh, in youth and family work because I was actually going to go and help kids who, who had a hard time like I did. Uh, three years into it, I realized I didn't like teenagers much at all. So I stopped doing that. <laughs> and um, I've, I've always had various businesses and, and uh, things like that. And um, I've been speaking professionally since 1988, right out of college. People wanted me to uh, come and tell my story. And so I was speaking at high school, summer camps, colleges, you know, universities, things like that. And then slowly, uh, mid-90s, late-90s, it transitioned more to speaking to adults uh, and the motivational kind of things, and then more influence and leadership and sales. Um, and so uh, my next book coming out in November 2020 is uh, called Lasting Impact, How to Create a Life and Business that Lives Beyond You. For those that are getting into your, well into your 50s, you start thinking about, okay, how do I, as the old book, uh, Bob Buford wrote a book called Halftime, and the subtitle was Moving from Success to Significance. And so um, uh, it's that time of life for me. You know, I've had a lot of great success, and now I'm thinking about how I can help other people and how I can enjoy the, the fruit of my labor and, you know, all those kinds of things. And how did you well, so it's kind of interesting. I had a, a ministry background um, early on, and I got to know John Maxwell long before he was out writing big best-selling books and everything. He was a pastor. Most people don't know that John Maxwell was a pastor. Wow. wow. Yeah, he pastored a big, giant mega church in San Diego. And, um, and I was doing writing and speaking. Then he decided to move fully into the secular world and out of the religious world. And, and um, they hired me to ghostwrite for John because they knew that I would have his voice, that I'd be able to pick up his voice, sort of, you know, uh, religious side, business side, and sort of merge that voice and that worldview. So they hired me to ghostwrite his nationally syndicated column for about a year and a half. And then that's how Jim Rohn found out about me. And they called me up and asked me if I'd ghostwrite. I said, no, nah, I don't want to ghostwrite anymore, but I'll co-write. So I co-wrote the, the Jim Rohn one-year success plan. And then um, 
and then his last book called 12 Pillars and being down in Dallas, I had, I had built a, a big business selling audio programs through Costco and Sam's Club. We were selling 50 to 75,000 boxes a month through Costco and Sam's Club. And, wow. and one guy that was in all my boxes was Zig Ziglar. Yeah. So I got to know Zig and his son Tom a little bit who runs her company. And, and um, I ended up with a TV show in Dallas. And then Zig asked me if I'd co-host his TV show in Dallas. So wow. that's how I ended up working with those three legends was sort of one led to another. And they are legends. Zig Ziglar oh, followed Michael Stale's career, right? Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I remember the first time I walked into the studio, I'd never met Zig before. And I walked in the studio, I tell people I felt like a priest who'd been called to the Vatican to serve communion with the Pope. <laughs> you know, I was like, what am I doing here? You know, <laughs> I don't know that I belong here, but. Hysterical. Uh, we were speaking, uh, we were Chris, speaking before, before, before we came on the show, on the show about your, you know, your sort of starting point into sales. Tell me about you were saying you had a first sales team. Tell me a little bit. Yeah, yeah and, and if this, this falls under the category of it's just as easy to think big as it is to think small. So my mom was working at a hospital called Group Health Hospital, and, and she, she was doing secretarial work. And and I was 14 years old and I used to stay at her work after school and then we'd drive home together. And so I got to know this guy who was about 40, 45 years old and he was a, um, a records filer. Yeah. We've just frozen for two seconds, Chris, which I'll cut out the podcast, but uh, stay with me two seconds. And, um, Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Chris. We froze for a froze second. For a we're second. Back, on. We're back on. Oh, okay. You want me to start start yeah, from just, there? Yeah, just from the story. From yeah. The story, yeah. Okay. So um, I was 14 years old. My mom uh, worked at Group Health Hospital, and she worked with a guy who was in the filing department. And all he did all day long was file paperwork. And he wanted to have some money, so he borrowed seven thousand dollars from a rich uncle, and he bought the rights, the Pacific Northwest rights, Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, to a self-watering flower pot. It was two pieces of, uh, of, of kind of like Tupperware, and yeah. they sat down one in the other. The bottom bowl was where the water was. The top yeah. bowl was where the dirt and the plant was, and it had like a little nipple that went down into the bottom bowl, and wherever you set the lever determined how much water got pulled Clever. up into the top. Clever. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's brilliant. So he, I'm at the office one day, and he says, hey, I just got into this new business. Would you like to make some money? And I said, yeah, I'd love to make some money. I was 14, and I've always been a hustler. Yeah. And uh, he yeah. says, I'll pay you a dollar for every one of these flower pots you sell. And I said, okay, cool. And I got a couple samples, and off I went. Now, he thought I was going to go door to door and sell these, you know, three at a time to little old ladies on their front porch. But I thought, well, why wouldn't I just go to Ernst Home Centers? So I called up Ernst Home Centers, and I don't know how many stores they had back then, 100, 120. This was before the big box stores, you know, Office yeah. Depot and those. Yeah. And so I called up. I got an, uh, an appointment with the buyer, and my mom bought me a blue blazer, and she put <laughs> me in the car and dropped me off on the street corner in downtown Seattle. And I marched in, and I, the guy looked at me like, what in the world are you doing here? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I'm here to show you this self-watering pot. And it worked so brilliantly. There was no plant or anything in it, but I set the top part down into the bottom part after putting some water in it. I pulled the lever and a bunch of water pulled up into the, into the reservoir. And he said, I'll take it. And I said, okay, great. How many do you want? He said, well, let's do a test for a year. Let's test it in 20 of my stores for a year. He says, I'll buy four boxes per store uh, for a year, 20 stores. So let's do the math. Each box had 24, but we'll say 25 just for math reasons. So he bought 100 per store 
times 20 stores is 2,000 a month times wow. a year is 24,000 flower pots. Wow. So wow. I went back to this guy and I, I sold some flower pots. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, how many did you sell? And I said, 24,000. <laughs> now, Tony, this is, another great, this is another great lesson. This guy was so afraid of success. He called the company up. He got so terrified. He called the company up, asked for his money back, and gave up his license to the flower pot. You're joking. Why? No, no idea. He had a mental barrier, a subconscious mental barrier against success and wealth and money, and it freaked him out. And the crazy thing is, is it was drop shipping. He didn't have to do anything except drop ship it and bill it. But he, he panicked and he gave it up. Now, what I really want to know is why my mother didn't go and borrow $7,000 from somebody and get that yeah. license and that sale. But she did what she did. So, But you know what it really made me realize was, and I did the same thing later on in life. In 2004, a friend of mine and I, we licensed audio programs from hundreds and hundreds of speakers. And then we put them into box sets around themes like leadership, sales success. Mm -hmm verbal power. And we could have, you know, gone down to the local five and dime and said, Hey, you know, would you, uh, would you throw these out there on consignment and pay us, you know, for everyone you sell? Well, we didn't do that. We called Costco and yeah. Costco said, we'd love to sell these. And we were selling $2 million a month for, you know, a long, long period of time, anywhere between a million and a half, $2 million a month for, you know, four or five years. Incredible. And uh, then we paid out royalties to, to all the people, but it's about thinking big. And, and I think a lot of salespeople don't think big enough. They, they, they look, yeah, I, I get it. You can win a baseball game by hitting a lot of singles, but you know what? Uh, every now and then the, the ball's just right to hit a home run. And so you yeah, may as well hit a yeah. double, triple and a home run every once in a while. And what's, I, I, think, I think stories phenomenal. What's your best advice for my listeners on how they can think big? Uh, I think the first thing would be who could buy more of your stuff, right? If, if, if somebody is distributing a thousand of your things a, a month, ask yourself who could sell 2000 or how could this current distributor sell 2000? How do we get from 1000 a month to 2000 a month? Mm. Um, how do I go from a hundred thousand dollars a year to $200,000 a year? Mm. You know, whatever it might be. I think it's, it's just a matter of stretching. And, you know, this isn't to say that you have to swing for the fences every time, but what happens if you just think a little bit bigger and you incrementally move, this, move the needle? That's how you get really big after a while. Mm, I love that. I love that advice. And when I was doing my research on you, I know you, you asked this question of your, your clients, which is some people succeed in leadership and sales and other people don't. Why do, some, why do some succeed and other people don't? And in leadership and sales in particular. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that we talk about leadership and sales together because a lot of people think that they're very different, and they're really not different at all. In fact, I contend that the core competency of both a leader and a salesperson is the same exact competency, and that is the ability to influence others. Yes. So a leader is influencing in regard to visions and strategies and end goals and things like that. A salesperson is influencing in regard to purchase of products and services and you know, other things like that. And so, but they both have to get somebody to do something. Uh, they have to change their thoughts, beliefs, and actions. That's my definition of influence, the ability to change another person's thoughts, beliefs, and actions. So a leader has to get someone to, you know, buy into the, the game plan. A salesperson has to get them to buy a widget. Yeah. And so, um, and so it's the exact same competency. And what I have found in my study of influence over the years that most people don't understand what really determines whether or not you have influence. Most people think that it's your skills. They think you just got to be sharp. You got to know your stuff. You 
you got to be, you know, you got to look good, sound good. And that stuff is all really, really great. But research has proven over and over and over again. And then my 20 years of asking a million people this question and seeing their answers mm. is that most people, when you drive down, drill down with them, uh, they'll, they'll come to the conclusion that it's less about their skills and it's more about their character. And I'll give you a sort of a classic sort of stereotype uh, illustration of this would be a car salesman. You know, we always talk about car salesmen. You know, they're, they're the shysters. They're the ones that are going to steal from you and sell you a car for too much that doesn't do what it's, you know, they've got a reputation. So you go onto the car lot and this guy just knows everything, man. He looks good. His ties, his ties, right. He's got the dimple in the tie and his hair is cut. And I mean, everything about this guy just screams competency. But then he tells you a couple things and you just know they aren't true. Yeah. Like I had a guy once, I, was, I had narrowed it down to a, G, uh, a GMC Denali and a Lincoln Navigator. Yeah. And the Denali guy, at the very end, he's telling me, well, you know, the, the average person here at our dealership has an 805 credit score. And I said, you mean a 605, right? Because yeah. <laughs> 850 is perfect. I've asked people in my audiences, I've said, how many of you have even seen somebody with over an 800? And I've had three or four people in 20 years say that they yeah. saw anybody yeah. with over an 800 yeah. and that was my first kind of signal and I don't know why he said it to me I don't know what he got yeah. out of it I don't yeah. know what the thing was but I just kind of you know here he was I was down to the final two I'd been researching for weeks and I was ready to buy that I was going to buy a car that day and then all of a sudden I went like this huh like yeah. that doesn't make sense yeah. and at the very end uh, I was I said okay I'm gonna go over to the Lincoln dealer now and, and I'm gonna make my decision and and he says and I said, what's your final price? And he gave me a price. I can't remember what it was. And he looked at me in the eyes and he said, Chris, I couldn't give you another nickel off if I wanted to. Mm. And I said, fair enough. I appreciate your time. I'm going to go check with them and then I'll make my decision. Mm. As I was walking out to my car, 10 feet from my car, the guy, I hear the guy going, hey, 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 Mr. Widener, Chris, hey, excuse me, excuse me. And I turn around and he does one of these things. He looks back over his left shoulder, he looks back over his right shoulder. He looks at me and says, listen, if you buy this car right now without leaving, I can give you another $1,000 off. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I actually won't be buying a car from you at all today. And he said, why not? He was so incredible, in incredulous. You, you can always tell when someone's incredulous because they go from talking like this to talking like this. <laughs> they, you know, they became, all of a sudden became a 12-year-old girl. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, because you just told me about 100 feet ago yeah. that you couldn't give yeah. me another nickel off if you wanted. Now I'm 15 feet from my car. You're telling me to give me $1,000 yeah. off. I'm just yeah. wondering if I move closer to the car, if I get another $1,000 <laughs> off. He said, no, 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 this is it. And I said, but here's your problem. You've already lied to me numerous times today. Yeah. And he, he was the better salesman, but he was also the one who was dishonest. Yeah. And I never bought a car from them, and I bought three cars from the Lincoln dealer. Love that. I love that. I, love I think you're so right. So right. Trust, trust is everything in sales. Absolutely. Sales. And the second, the second that's gone, gone, all over. All over. Yeah. People will follow you for a while, but they won't follow you forever. They'll buy from you once, but they won't buy from you twice. Yeah. You know, um, honesty, you know, well, and I'll tell you an interesting, this is an interesting thing. So I went and bought the Lincoln. I'll tell you, this was a, uh, an interesting deal. Um, I went and bought the Lincoln. I'm driving the Lincoln home and I get a phone call from the general manager of the GMC dealer. And he says, hey, you know, I heard there was something going on. What can we do to save the deal? And I said, you can't. I'm literally driving home in the Lincoln Navigator. Yeah. And he goes, oh, man, I can't believe it. So I said, well, and I told him what had happened. 
And he said something interesting to me. He said, you know, Chris, it's a real problem for me now. And I said, why? He said, well, think about it. He said, 60 years ago, all car dealerships were local. And so when you went down to buy a car or you were the guy that owned the car dealership, you were selling to the people that you went to church with. You were selling to people who lived in your neighborhood. Mm. You were selling to people, parents of, of your children's friends. You wouldn't ever think about lying to them. He said, uh, but now, he said, my average salesman lives 45 minutes away mm. and they will only be with me for 18 months. So he said, here's the problem. I've been here for 15 years, so I get stuck with the bad reputation. They blow in, lie in order to sell cars, and then they leave. And I'm the one that gets stuck with it. So it was a really big, uh, a really big thing for him. But I thought it was interesting talking about how they, they lost their values when they weren't selling to somebody that they knew. Yes. Or that they knew yes. that there would be some uh, retribution or something yes. for if they yes. were to have lied to them. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, that really yeah. Happened, actually. You mentioned a really good point that, the core competence between leadership and sales is, is the influence, right? And I totally get that. What else from all your experience, Chris, in sales and other sales experts you've worked with, what else do you believe it all makes up a top A player sales performer? I think a couple of things. Number one is rapport. If you can get to the point where you can build rapport really quickly, um, it's uh, it's a game changer because people don't give you that much time. But rapport is really just a connection. I mean, what is rapport really? It's it's a connection. Mm. And the funny thing is, I have a number of publishers who publish my books, and I get royalties from them, some monthly, some quarterly. I've got one publisher who has probably thirty of my different audio programs and books and things like that, and he pays me once a quarter. And every quarter, I have one title that is half of all my royalties from that publisher. Mm. And it's called How to Talk to Anybody, Anytime, Anywhere. Mm, And and it's a very simple process. You ask questions until you find a connection, and then you go in that direction. Yeah. So, you know, you, you walk into you walk into a sales place and and you know a guy guy says you got 10 minutes. And you, you go in and you start scanning his walls. You look for anything. Is there a picture of him golfing? Is, where, where's his diploma from? Like anything, right? And so you find something and you say, oh, I see you're a golfer. And he says, oh, I love to golf. Bam, there's rapport, yeah. right? Yeah. Just ask questions till you find it. Where were you born? I was born in Nebraska. Well, I wasn't born in Nebraska. Okay, so, uh, you know, where did you go to college? Went to University of Michigan. Oh, I didn't go to University of Michigan. Um, what do you like to do for, for fun? I'm a golfer. I'm a golfer. Bam. And then you just, what was the, what's the greatest course you've ever played? And then, they oh, I got a trip to St. Andrews. It was fantastic. You played St. Andrews. How did that happen? I got to hear all about it. And, and there's rapport and they like you and you cannot underestimate, you know, as my friend Bob Berg always says, you know, people buy from people they know, love and trust. And, and that's the fact. And so you, there are ways to, to really quickly build rapport. And it's simply by asking questions until you find something. Um, It could be, it could be your religious faith. It could be where you grew up. It could be your college. It could be, be your first wife's first name. I mean, I don't care what. A, oh, I was married to a Susie too. Oh. <laughs> like anything. It's not the same Susie. As long as it's not the same Susie, then you're in trouble. But I mean, anything where both of you say, me too. Yeah. As soon as somebody says, yeah. me too, there's connection. And then I would say, you know, another thing that comes off the top of my mind is the, the most successful salespeople are the disciplined salespeople. Yeah. You know, Jim Rohn always yeah. used to say, the fortune's in the follow-up. 
Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of people could go in and make a good sales presentation and then they, they quit. They yeah. don't follow up yeah. or they don't follow up enough or they don't follow up with the right person. You know, uh, the disciplined sales leader is going to get it. I, I wrote a book a long time ago and, um, my, the title of one of my chapters, you know, they always say the early bird gets the worm. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. My chapter was the tenacious bird gets the worm. That's the one who gets the worm. The yeah. one who goes and goes yeah. and goes and goes. I, I want to ask I you, Matt, because I've, I've, I've trained over thousands of thousands of sales, 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 sales and it amazes me how, how lately the vast majority the vast really majority can be. Really can now, be. What, what do you think now, that's down to? Why are they not willing to go that extra mile to win that business? You said the vast majority are unwilling to, and then it cut out a little bit. Yeah, sorry. They're unwilling to graft. They've become they like, become they, like they, they feel like they learn the right for business to come to And they just become, and they don't follow up. And they, you know, they don't have that. What do you think that's down to? I think a lot of it, and, and I've done a lot of study on generational wealth, and I think, uh, you know, generate, uh, wealth passes generations typically, uh, except for inheritance, but um, people who grow up in wealthier homes, and I don't mean rich homes, like, don't just say, oh, well, that's not me. Um, you know, after World War II, and, and you know, we, we live in the most um, successful, wealthy time in the world, te the technology that we have. I read an article about six months ago that compared the average poor person to the life, their Chris, we just froze again, my friend, which is really annoying, but I'll, I'll, I'll be taking this out of the podcast. there sorry chris i'm sorry, back chris. oh no problem you want me to jump right back in on that story yeah, you said the average yeah, poor the person average okay the average poor person's lifestyle is better today than the first billionaire john rockefeller they went back john rockefeller didn't have running water didn't have running electricity didn't go out to restaurants every night right. like didn't have right. indoor lighting like you know all these things yeah. and so i yeah. think i think affluence can make you soft Mm -hmm. What you find is you find a lot of people who weren't born into affluence and what do they want? They want it. And so they yeah. go and get it. Yeah. Kids who are born into affluence, they think they already have it and that somehow it's innate to them. They don't realize that it was their mom and dad who busted their asses in order yeah. to get it. Yeah. And they're just the lucky beneficiary because they live yeah. in the house. They got to go out and kill and eat their own fish and food. Yeah. That's a really good point. Actually. Really because still the spoon mentality. What you? I know you wrote with some absolute greats. Yeah, you mentioned Bob Berg. He was on my podcast a month ago. The guys, what's some of the best advice you've ever been given? Again, from a sales Um, some of the best advice I've been given is this. So it's interesting. Some of the best sales advice I ever got was from my son. My son is extraordinary salesman. I keep telling him, look, I've given. He's Chris Weidner Jr. I'm like, dude, I've given you the name. Like, <laughs> you're starting from way ahead. You know, write your, write your sales book, you know. Correct. And because uh, he's a phenomenal salesman, top of his sales. Every He's had three uh, careers before he started his own business. But, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, he's always been at the top. But he told me, he said, Dad, he said this three or four years ago. He said, Dad, you're what I call a personality seller. Mm. 
And I said, really, what does that mean? And he said, it's very different from me. Not that either is right or wrong. It's just they both have their strengths and they both have their weaknesses. Mm. And I said, well, what's a personality seller? And my son is, is more of a quiet type, more of the strong, quiet type. And so what I'm about to do, for those of you watching on video, it'll be funny coming from my son. He's like, my, my son says, you're a personality seller. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you just sell like this. Like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing in the world. And people go, it is okay. I'll buy some. And... And he said, me, he said, you know, I don't have your personality, so I have to ask a lot of questions. I have to narrow it down. I have to move them in the right direction. I got to find out what they want to pay. I got to find out how they're going to finance. I got to find out. And he's like, he's like, you know, there's pros and cons to either or. But he said, you need to work a little more on the, the you know, the robust backside of your personality, <laughs> you know. So, um, and it is true. I, I really am. Because I, I, if I get excited about things, yeah. you know, then other yeah. people need to be excited about things. But it reminds me of something I've taught for a long time. Um, Aristotle had something that he called the three legs of persuasion. Mm. And it was logos, pathos, and ethos. And ethos is, of course, ethics. And so you got to sell out of ethics. If you want to influence and, and persuade people, you have to have your ethics. Because we talked about earlier, if, yeah. if people think you don't have ethics, they won't buy from you. But the other two are interesting. Logos, which is for logic, and pathos, which is for passion. Mm. You need to, Those are the other two legs of the stool. Mm. If you're missing one of those legs, the stool tips over. Mm. So we all know these logical salespeople, right? Everything is about, well, this car is going to get you 32 miles yeah. to the gallon. And it has 1,800 per square inch pounds of torque, and it's got, yeah. you know, an extra third gear, and, you know, everything's just very, very, yeah. and you just feel yeah. like, this just doesn't excite me at all. Yeah. And then you got the other yeah. guy going, you should hear the radio. It's amazing. <laughs> the you know, you yeah. need that. You need to bring those two together. You need the logical guy needs to instill a little passion. Yeah. The passion guy yeah. needs to get a little bit more of the detail down. So um, I think sort of tying up your question is the best advice I've really been given if I had to sort of summarize mm. is you need to have both sides. You yeah. need to be passionate about what you're selling, but yeah. also need to know your stuff dead. Yes. I love that. Yes. I love that advice. Love that. Love so obviously, that. You're, you're a multi-selling author. Before we talk about where my, about where my access to your great stuff, what are your top three books, Chris, that you've ever read? The top three books that I've ever read? Um, in, in, in sales or, or just yeah. in life in general? Or? Both. 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 Well, um... I started out reading a lot of John Maxwell, obviously. We talked about that. That's kind of how I got to know him, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Yeah. Um, I refer to the book Positioning all the time. Uh, but, and So Positioning was by Jack Troughton and um, Al Rice or Reese. I found out they pronounced that Reese. Um, <laughs> and then Jack Trout, 30 years later, just did the, a few years ago, did one called Repositioning. So that's a great book. I refer people to that all the time. Yeah. Influence the Psychology of Persuasion yeah. by uh, Robert Cialdini. Beautiful book. Uh, and, and I mentioned that book in almost all of my speeches because he is from the science side. Yes. I'm from the people yes. side. Yes. And they really play well together. Yes. So I refer, I tell people in every one of my speeches, go buy his books. Yeah. Um, go yeah. buy that book. Um, so that's another one. Um, uh, of course, Think and Grow Rich is, is always great. Um, um, try to think of uh, See You at the Top, Zig Ziglar, of course. Yeah. Um, 
Boy, there's just been some other books that have had profound um, impact on me, not necessarily sales or business books, but a book called uh, um, The Journey of Desire uh, by John Eldridge. Um, it's the journey of desire. It's a, it's a religious book, but it's, it's not heavy handed, right? You know, it's, it's a, it's a book you could read without feeling like they're trying to guilt you into something, but it was, it was basically the premise that, that the desires in our hearts come from God or higher power, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that those aren't bad. And that oftentimes those are the very things that should be leading us Mm. to our next, to our next thing. And, mm. um, you know, I was, I was reading that book in the late nineties and I was a pastor at the time right. and, uh, I was reading that book and someone said, how do you like the book? And I said, Chris, you've gone quiet. I'm not sure if that's on purpose. Chris, you've gone quiet on me. Oh, again, where did I, where did I tag out? Where you said, um, did you like the book? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll start. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, I said, I do like the book, but, uh, I know how it ends. And they said, well, how does it end? And I said, it ends with me not being a pastor anymore. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, I've always wanted to go and speak and write and travel. And within a couple of years, within two or three years, I made that decision. Um, I stopped being a pastor. I took a $100,000 mortgage out of my house. Uh, I, threw a, I threw a big uh, uh, convention in Seattle, September 26, 2002. Wow. I uh, hired John Maxwell. I think I paid John $55,000 out of the $100,000 I mortgaged my house for. And that was eight uh, hundred, right? Wow. I hired Jim Whitaker. Remember, I'm the guy who says it's, it's just as easy to think big. Yeah. Love it. You've gone quiet again. No. Chris, where can my audience access your stuff? You know, I, I know you've, if you can hear me, we've, we've got some work. No, now I can hear you. You're back. Sorry, my friend. Where's the best place for my audience to reach out? find your books and find out all about you absolutely they can find me at chriswidener.com if they're interested in any sort of personal coaching they can send me an email chris at chriswidener.com i'm on facebook instagram you know everywhere they can uh, and all my books are uh, you know amazon or barnes and noble or books a million wherever you can find them wherever you can buy good books they're there love it chris thank you so much for giving up your time i know you're on vacation um so i really appreciate your time my friend Stay safe and keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Chris.